Hello, welcome to Slumber Party Cinema Club, a podcast for the movies you've seen a thousand times and the silly and serious conversations they start. I am one of your hosts, Katie. And I'm your other host, Kate. And spooky season continues. Oh yeah, we're not letting the month of October go to waste this year. Oh, absolutely not. Also, I feel like I really sounded like like a sports radio announcer right there. (laughs) I mean, spooky season is a sport of endurance. Oh man. I mean, it's a marathon, not a sprint, baby. <laughs> so how you been, Kate? Uh, pretty good. Still getting over a little bit of sickness. So sorry if my throat, you know, I'm gonna try not to do a lot of throat clearing. Um and tonight I'm really excited because I'm going to see the Taylor Swift eras movie. I've got a great outfit. Fantastic. I gotta say spending $25 to see it with a bathroom pretty close and people bringing me food is probably the one way I would go to see Taylor Swift. A hundred percent. And they like, so like Alamo Draft House is pretty like known for like being very, I guess, strict about like the movie watching experience. Like they want you to be quiet. They don't want you to have phones out you know they want to retain the good good movie experience but i guess for these sort of like concert movie parties they're like oh yeah get up dance sing whatever and i'm like okay yeah they were very clear about that when i saw barbie i i when i saw barbie it was the opening weekend and we did one of the slumber party viewings so Mm -hmm. or pajama parties not slumber party but they did one of the pajama party viewings and they were very clear at the beginning when they kicked it off they're like please laugh please talk if you've seen the movie before and you know all the words to I'm just Ken, feel free to sing along. Like this is a party environment. You know, this is, you know, all rules at the Alamo are off the table right now. So I'm excited because I know that you <laughs> and I have tickets to go see Beyonce in December. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that makes me really happy to know that they're not going to be too stringent because I'm definitely going to want to stand up and dance. Yeah. I can segue into our movie because Another event that's happening at the Alamo tonight, and I'm a little sad that I'm missing it, but, you know, Tay Swift, so it's fine. But um, there's a movie party for The Lost Boys. And that is the movie we're discussing today. Yes, one of my absolute favorite movies, just, you know, full stop of all movies, (laughs) not just Halloween or horror movies. See, that fits like I can I can definitely understand why you of all people I know would say that this is their favorite movie. Yeah. Can I say I I wanted to bring this up because I saw like this on Twitter or Instagram, uh, the concept of like a comfort horror movie. And I and it was sort of like, yeah, that sounds weird. How can you find comfort from a horror movie? But this would definitely be one of my comfort horror movies. Mm hmm. I think we all have do, them. Yeah, I was going to say, do you have any? You know, I, I actually, last week's episode, Silence of the Lambs, uh, it is just sort of one of my comfort movies, weirdly enough, because um, I know what's going to happen. I like the story. I like the way it's filmed. So I think that that's probably one of them. The other one I can think of, and people might not consider this horror, but I think it is um, Psycho, the original. Oh, that's horror for sure. You know, some people don't think it is because it's not as it's not like slasher film. Well, it's interesting that you Although say it's, that. It's literally a slasher film. He does slash. <laughs> there is, yeah. <laughs> yeah, slashing does take place. Slash, no, it's actual slashing happens. It's interesting that you say that because I know some people don't consider Silence of the Lambs a horror film. Mm. Um, 
And I actually ran a poll on Twitter this week and we did get the, the, no, it's not a horror film one out. Hmm. It's, I guess some people are like, no, it's like a thriller. It's a psychological thriller more than it's a horror film, but. I mean, I can buy that. Yeah. I, to me, psychological thriller is sort of like a sub genre of horror. Yeah, similar to, like, gothic horror. Like, I didn't look at Crimson Peak and go, oh, this is a horror film. But it is, because it's, you know, that gothic horror feel. feel. Yeah, there are ghosts in it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Paranormal, but- that's another subset of, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, can I start us off again with a little bit of uh, history surrounding yeah, our movie? So this movie came out in July 1987, July for or sorry, July 31st, 1987, to be precise. So I was about uh, two months old, like a little bit over two months old when this movie first came out. So what you're saying um, is you didn't see this in the movie theater. I did not. No, <laughs> my, my parents did not take me to see this one. But in the same month, um, just like a couple days before this came out, uh, Cherry Garcia was invented the ice cream flavor yeah ben ben and jerry's the company and jerry garcia of uh grateful dead made the agreement to collaborate and make this new flavor which has sort of become like you know legendary it's the quintessential Um, ben and jerry's flavor yes another thing that happened in i think it was july of the i i fudged a little bit with not necessarily everything happened in July. But Kate, have you ever rickrolled anyone or been rickrolled? Oh, yes. My favorite rickroll okay. case I've ever seen is the person who had a um, Spotify, one of those Spotify scannables tattooed onto their for- their forearm. And it was never going to give you up by Rick Astley. Oh, that is commitment to mm. rickrolling. Damn. That is a commitment to the rickroll. Well, Rick Rowling didn't necessarily start in 1987, but Never Gonna Give You Up was released as a single in 1987. And other fun news, uh, in 1987, Mr. Potato had quit smoking. I didn't know he was a smoker to begin with. Yeah, he, um, you know, one of his little accessories that you can stick on and off his face was a, a pipe. And he had been using the pipe for the past 35 years. And then um, at a ceremony in Washington... In November of 1987, that included the Surgeon General at the time, um, C. Everett Koop. He accepted uh, Mr. Potato Head's pipe as a symbolic gesture that he was quitting smoking. And this was um, kicking off the uh, Great American Smokeout, which was sponsored by the American Cancer Society, which, you know, essentially bringing awareness to not smoking because it will fucking give you lung cancer. Well, you know, that's real interesting. That explains why my uh, Mr. Potato Head, when I was a kid, had a nicotine patch that came with. (laughs) Wait, for real? No. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) A fun fact that matters maybe only to me is uh, 1987 was the uh, year of the third ever WrestleMania. Okay. And the big match is probably one that's like, very famous even to non-wrestling fans like you might recognize seeing posters of it or you know like old uh not propaganda why would i want to say propaganda advertisements um but it was hulk hogan versus andre the giant oh damn wrestling 
for well, one of those people is confirmed to be a very nice person. Mm-hmm. And one of them is still alive <laughs> <laughs> um, and just got married to his girlfriend that looks like his daughter. I don't know. We won't go into it, <laughs> but yeah, they were wrestling for the heavyweight title. Hogan retained the title. But anyways, uh, also in sad news, uh, Fox Network made its primetime de- de- debut in 1987. Uh, we need a soundboard um, so we can get some solid booze on that. <laughs> womp womp. <laughs> <laughs> but in happier news, and this just happened a couple days ago, you know, pro- almost a week ago by the time this episode comes out, but a couple days ago at the time of a recording, it was National Coming Out Day. Um 1987 was the year of the first ever national coming out day. That's amazing. Yeah. So, you know, happy coming out day belated to all my fellow queers out there. If you're not out yet, that's okay. Um, We still love you. And yeah, those are, those are all my 1987 history facts. Okay. Well, thank you for giving us that context. You're welcome. And I like to have a little bit of context because the Lost Boys feels like such a stylized movie, even though it's not like it's not. <laughs> That's just well, how so I, I know you say that, but it was directed by Joel Schumacher, right? Yes. Who's one of my and, favorites. And I yeah. Um, but I just want to point out, you say that it's not stylized, but actually, Joel Schumacher, do you know about his career before he started to do film? No, he did like music videos and stuff. Uh, even before that, he I believe one of his first jobs was doing window dressing for uh, Halston. Um, oh, in fact, he's, okay. In the Halston series, but he was a designer for Revlon. He also did um, uh, work well, after he got through his drug um, drug addiction. Um, mm-hmm. he using drugs, he became an employee at Henry Bendel um and just sort of like yeah he's he's got a much bigger uh resume that includes things like fashion and design and and set up that way um even before doing films like uh saint elmo's fire and the lost boys and actually i know we've mentioned it on this call before but i didn't realize this he was one of the designers on the wardrobes for the women in the last of sheila and that movie is incredible it's a 1970s murder mystery um that inspired greatly uh, Knives Out, Glass Onion. Oh, um, I didn't know that. Yeah. So he he actually, he got his start. I know you say, you, you know, it's not a very stylized film. I would say that it's 100% style because that's that's his specialty. Even before becoming a director, his specialty was being a production designer. Yeah, I guess that's true. I'll take that back. <laughs> um, also, I'd like to mention that he did uh, Batman Forever and Batman and Robin. And I know some people like to say those movies suck, but I think they're fun. <laughs> 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 um, but no, the thing I, I love about the style of this movie is just like the sort of crust punk vibe. Mm-hmm. Um, like, first of all, the soundtrack's amazing. Soundtrack is yeah it's a good soundtrack it's very much of its time though yeah and you know Kiefer Sutherland makes a mullet look hot <laughs> I don't know how a but he bleached does. mullet too goodness also did you know that Kiefer Sutherland was only 17 when he made the movie he lied about his age and said he was 18 really I didn't know that mm-hmm. yeah fun fact those nepo babies I tell you 
Yeah. It, and it was like one of his um first movies. It was also like the first movie of the Corys. Like this is essentially how the Corys were, you know, came into being was this yeah. movie. See, I could have sworn that it was the Goonies, but you're right. Corey Haim was Haim was not in that. Mm-mm. Yeah, no, it was it was this movie, which I know. Speaking of the Corys, I know Corey Feldman was just at Riot Fest, but you didn't get to see him, did you? I didn't. I was just enjoying all the photos of him backstage with different people. Yeah, I heard it was bad. Like, I heard it was not good. We knew that. (laughs) We knew that was going to (laughs) happen. Yeah. And I also, I want to say he was like late coming out. Yeah. Like, there was a lot of vamping. Um, Well, I heard this from, you know, Cody and um your best friend my brother-in-law and um he said that yeah Corey Feldman was like half an hour late actually coming out to do a set or something like that which made us think of back to when we saw Jerry Lee Lewis 2018 2019 and we were like oh my god is he dead backstage and (laughs) he was not he was um but I mean you know acts at right like these sort of legacy acts that uh, perform at Riot Fest like I mean we saw Coolio mm-hmm. and then two weeks later like Coolio had passed away so yeah. it's not a completely out of question possibility but anyways back to the movie uh, I'm gonna be all over the fucking place talking about this movie because I love it so much um, I also realized that this is a, our second like Diane Weist movie that we're discussing for our spooky month this year you know she was all over um so many of the halloween movies i mean like i really i didn't start thinking about it i don't know if if you played this game it's called movie grid it's sort of like wordle where every day there's a new puzzle i haven't so there's this thing called movie grid where it gives you a a rubric so there's three things on one side and three things on the other and you have to name a film that you know connects to whatever the thing is you fill in this grid it's quite humbling when you realize that you really don't know very many movies that scarlett johansson has actually been in uh but (laughs) uh you know like so you get like six try or nine tries to fill out nine squares and i'm just waiting for diane weiss to show up on one of those because the woman's been in everything with everyone yeah she's had a really cool career but yeah she's in this she plays the mother um we also get uh, Edward Herman, who later was, you know, grandfather on Gilmore Girls uh, as mm-hmm. Max, uh, who's the man who's trying to date her. Um, we get Corey Haim and Jason Patrick as the brothers that have moved to not Santa Barbara, not Santa Cruz, but Santa Clara. I love that they have Carla. a name for it. Carla? Carla, yeah. Carla, Santa Carla. Made up name for the, the town. Um, yeah. It is based on Santa Cruz, though. It is based on Santa Cruz, yeah. Well, and actually, yeah. that, so this is a thing I texted you when I was doing my rewatch of it. The opening sequence where you don't meet the main characters yet, but you get an establishing shot of where this is all going to take place in the key places is an amusement park on the beachfront. And that's the same amusement park that was op- used in the opening of Us. Um, mm-hmm. And even it could even be debated that Us truly kind of starts at the same time frame so it feels like you know while all of this was going on lost boys were going on here there's something far more sinister going on in alternate universe for us creepy which by the way that movie is now on netflix if you have not watched it yet yet please do i saw that and get out on there too 
Yeah, they put, except for, I think Nope's the one that they haven't put up there yet, but I'm loving this. I'm loving the idea of doing a Jordan Peele trilogy night. Yeah. Side note, like Santa, so Santa Carla, the name of the city in the movie is based on Santa Cruz, real life place that was actually known as murder capital of the world, which there is like in the establishing shot, as you mentioned, there is a sign that uh, names Santa Carla as the murder capital of the world. Santa Cruz was actually plagued with the reputation of uh, being the murder capital of the world because there were a bunch of like, there were like at least three active serial killers in that area in like the 70s. Wow. Yeah. What was it about that area? I don't know. It really, uh, LA as a whole, California, a lot of uh, serial killer activity around there. <laughs> Who's can say? Maybe maybe it has something to do with how bad the LAPD is. Um, I don't know. <laughs> But um, yeah, sorry. So we were talking about uh, all the cool actors in this. Yeah. So we also had Corey Feldman in there. Um, my favorite, and unfortunately he's not in very much, is uh, Alex Winter, who most people would recognize yeah. Bill and Ted. Uh, he is unfortunately the first vampire to, to get it. Um, mm-hmm. I will point out that in the credits, there are three actors who are credited as Surf Nazi number one, Surf Nazi number two, and Surf Nazi number three. Yeah. And you know what's interesting about the whole like uh, Surf Nazi thing is mm-hmm. that so this movie is like full of lore that doesn't even necessarily make it into the movie on screen. Um, there was a novelization of the movie. Mm. Um, <clears throat> the book is very hard to get now. It's like a collector's item. However, a very nice internet person sent me a PDF copy of the book. And I normally I would not condone pirating books. That's bad, bad, bad. But considering that this book is entirely out of print, like, yeah, no one's losing money from it. And like I would have to pay $200 on eBay to like be able to get a copy of it. It's fine. But anyways, surf Nazi is like a label, a term that shows up like in the book. And I'm guessing also like in the script, but no one ever actually says it. Yeah, exactly. They're just all a whole bunch of of guys on the beach that get attacked by vampires. Yeah. I want to say someone might say it in a deleted scene, but in the final cut of the movie, no one actually uses the term surf Nazi. I wonder how much of it was to make you feel like bad about what happens to them. Cause honestly, like I rather, I I'd be cheering for the vampires. Yeah. Like, I mean, I'm cheering for the vampires anyway. Yeah. 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 I don't think you're supposed to feel too bad for them because they're sort of depicted as assholes anyways. Yeah, but you're supposed to really be feeling for for Michael. Because, like, okay, so the plot of this movie is that Michael and Sam and their mom, Lucy, move to live with their grandpa in Santa Carla. And Mm -hmm. uh, when they get there, they sort of almost immediately, there's really no ramp up time. They almost immediately fall in with this group. Michael falls in with this group 
um, of guys, including David played by Kiefer Sutherland and Marco played by Alex Winter. And there are, it turns out they're vampires and they sort of trick him into becoming a vampire, half vampire at that point. And it's all because mm-hmm. he sees a girl and follows the girl and the girl like leads him to this group. Um, and the girl's name is Star. <laughs> it's so 87. I love it. Um, meanwhile, Michael's little brother, Sam, played by Corey Haim, has this amazing exchange in a comic book store with two kids, Corey Feldman, who plays Edgar, and uh, Jameson Newlander, who plays Alan, and uh, proves his mettle as uh, someone who knows a lot about comics, and they all become friends. And then they all of a sudden become just like experts of vampire hunting, um, probably because of all the comic books they've been reading. So when Michael turns up as a half vampire, Sam and his newfound friends take it upon themselves to uh, fix things and go after the vampire uh, clan and try to reverse reverse this so that Michael doesn't become a full vampire. Well, and like. Edgar just wants to kill him right away. He's like, we'll stake him for you. Don't worry about it. Oh, yeah. Edgar just Edgar just wants. Yeah, he, he was so excited. <laughs> and the reason they know so much about vampire hunting is, well, they have a comic that they created called Vampires Everywhere that yeah. is sort of meant to inform the populace of Santa Carla about the vampires. But no one seems to pay attention. You know, Mm -hmm. classic, classic uh, movie logic, I guess. No one really pays attention to the issue. But um, the the Vampires Everywhere comic is a comic that you could actually get your hands on. And actually, the comic store that was used to film in on the boardwalk is like a real comic store, really exists still there and the owner has like the first minted issue of vampires everywhere kind of on display as Aww, part of his awesome. collection yeah it's really cool well i like what but, you said though about like no one takes them seriously because yeah. that is such a a movie trope especially when it comes to kids dealing with stuff you know those meddling kids kind of feel Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a book by Grady Hendrix called the, uh, Southern book clubs guide to slaying vampires. Yeah. I've read that. And it's, yeah. And, and I read the intro and he explained that the, the reason he read that he wrote the book was because he was so interested in this idea that the parents don't pay attention or don't believe their kids. Mm-hmm. And he really wanted to reverse that in that this group of Southern women of moms, realize that something's up but no one listens to them and yeah, that real interesting reversal yeah and like one of the themes um of the book is sort of like you know believing women and listening to women and stuff mm-hmm. like that mm-hmm. which is interesting because the author of the book is a man yeah yeah um one thing i will say speaking of like moms and movies Diane Weiss's character Lucy is such a great mom in this movie and I love the dynamic of like her and the boys and you kind of learn about her character like really fast like people can say this is a bad movie and like the script's not perfect but the script is really good about letting you know who the characters are without uh doing a lot of exposition like you basically hear from Lucy that her and her husband got a divorce and she 
didn't want to fight and do a big battle. So she was just like, whatever, take it. Me and the boys are going to go live with my dad. Like, Mm -hmm. that's the end. We're going to make a new start. And, you know, and the boy, like, it's a very loving relationship. Like, they're all very open with one another, which makes it, which, you know, highlights the changes that Michael goes through as he starts to become a vampire or he becomes a half vampire because, you know, he's very rude and sarcastic to his mom and his brother. And they're just like, what the fuck is wrong with you? But Mm -hmm. honestly, you know, being a good mom is almost what gets them in this mess because Edward Herman character, Max, who owns a video store, he's this like unassuming bow tied video store owner in this town of crust punks. Um, (laughs) He sees, Lucy being kind and being a good mother to like this lost child that's on the boardwalk that he's like, I want her to be the mom to my boys because, you know, those boys definitely want a mom. And of course, you don't find out about these motivations until the very end of the movie. So Mm -hmm. spoiler alert, if you haven't seen it, it's like a sick, twisted Peter Pan. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Like, because that's kind of what. In Peter Pan, Peter Pan's like, I want Wendy to be the mother to all the lost boys, which is fucking weird when you think about it. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that's essentially what he wants. So he does sort of behind the scenes. He's like telling, you know, David and the other vampires. I almost said vampires. Vampires. (laughs) Vampires. It's Um, like a movie on uh, Archer goes as a vampire. (laughs) Yeah, vampire. (laughs) um he tells the other vampires you know to lure michael and sam in and change them into vampires because if he can change them he's more likely to get lucy to agree to this plan so that's sort of their uh their sort of goal however so also backing up uh you know you mentioned as part of the plot michael sort of becomes enamored with this girl star played by Jamie Gertz, who is also in another favorite movie, uh, Twister. She plays Bill Paxton's new fiance. She oh, says, yeah, like, yeah. I gotta go. We got cows. <laughs> <laughs> I think she was also in 16 Candles, wasn't she? Um, Maybe. I don't know. It's been a really long time since I've seen that movie. Maybe as like a side character. It's not it's not one of those movies I ever want to rewatch, but I seem to recall that she was in there as one of the one of the teenagers. Mm, yeah. But um really, you know, she sort of like lures them in, like she's the bait, and but he is way more obsessed with Keith or Sutherland, with David. <laughs> The two of them are way more obsessed with each other than, you know, whatever straight bullshit they got going on with Star and Michael. Like, and that's what I always say about this movie. Really, the true love story is between Michael and David. Okay. Yeah. Like, like Kiefer Sutherland, like David's eyes are just so intense every time he's looking at Michael. You're like, are you guys going to kiss or like what's going on? (laughs) Well, yeah, because um, it's interesting because then we also have and and another thing I texted you is like, hey, whatever, like pay attention to the posters that are in Sam's room because he has one poster, the typical like getting like adolescent boy having a, a poster of a woman in a car, you know, on the wall. 
But then mm-hmm. he also has a much bigger poster of Rob Lowe looking smoking <laughs> hot on his closet mm-hmm. door. So a lot of people will say like, oh, well, that's just a reference to, you know, Joel Schumacher put in there because he had just directed St. Elmo's Fire and Rob Lowe was in that. But people have asked Joel Schumacher about it, if it's like a subtle nod, because it's like the poster is on the closet door. And is that a reference to being like in the closet and whatever? And Joel Schumacher has been very coquettish about it in the past. And just like, I don't know. But I mean, you know, Sam is also like more fashion conscious and stuff than mm-hmm. other characters in this movie um which is really funny also uh, also just point of fact joel schumacher was an openly gay man in hollywood and Mm -hmm. i really like that uh when asked why he wanted to do this movie he essentially said and i'm paraphrasing just a little bit but not that much um because vampires are hot like they're the sexiest monsters frankenstein not hot (laughs) yeah he's he's right yeah um yeah vampires have always been associated with like sex and sexual awakening and stuff i just got to a part in dracula that was very very sexy Mm -hmm. um and i sort of paused to do some like deep dyed read essays on this scene where it's like it's in it's in the dracula movie but it's sort of written way different because the dracula movie you know changes uh the story where it's like Mina and Dracula, like Mina is Dracula's like reincarnated love. Ooh. Um, that is not, that is not part of the book at all. Mm-mm. Yeah, no. She, th- there's a scene in the movie where like, um, Dracula and Mina are sort of like almost consummating their long lost relationship, but they're also exploring, um, their interest in blood kinks um (laughs) and like it's clearly a like sort of consensual scene like sort of love almost sex scene but in the book it's it's not that at all like he's just going into her room at night and sort of trapping her into like drinking his blood but i don't know i don't know why i went off on that track of attention i did (laughs) um but i will say this is a important film sort of in vampire i guess lore mythology like pop culture because this is the movie that invented the phrase vamp out which was then used by like buffy the vampire slayer um the show the movie and like and then subsequently by other you know pop culture vampire media um and also the vampire looks in this movie were what sort of influenced how vampires look in buffy the vampire slayer the show i can see that it's very yeah yeah, it's very similar yeah i was also and it was embarrassing so the first time i ever saw this movie i think i was 11 or 12 and I was sleeping over at a friend's house and she had gotten really into like goth stuff at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a little bit older. It might've been 12 or 13, but sh- we watched this movie during our sleepover and it was possibly the most gruesome horror film I had seen up to that point. So mm-hmm. I was terrified. Like I was just like, I was not into it. <laughs> and <laughs> I was just, I, I remember specifically a couple of the death scenes, the one with the stereo 
which has that great line after. Oh, yeah. Death by stereo. Uh, <laughs> There's some good one-liners in this movie. Uh, there are some amazing one-liners in this movie. And of course, the um, the dunking of the vampire in the bathtub full of holy water, which how they got that much holy water out of the church in canteens, I'm still not sure. Um, but they throw him in the tub and he melts and then blood starts coming up through all of the sinks and toilets in the house. Anyway, those were like standout scenes. <laughs> so I did not remember very much at all about some of the other stuff. So when we were, wa- I was watching it this last time, which is actually the first time I watched it since um, the scene where they're having Chinese food in the cave when Michael first joins them. And they, oh, yeah, yeah. Diagnosis, like David's like, how are the maggots? And Michael just doesn't get it. And David's like, you're eating maggots. How do they taste? And he looks down and the rice he's eating has turned into maggots. Uh-huh. I forgot about that. And now I totally understand that whole bit in what we do in the shadows a little bit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was going to say they reference that in what we do in the shadows in the movie. Yeah. yeah. So another I... another way that is influenced, you know, even if what we do in the shadows is a comedy and a, sort of a mockumentary, it is a mockumentary, but like sort of a, a spoof on all of this. Um, just that... <laughs> the you know that that reference i'm like oh i get that reference now there yeah there's a lot of uh references in what we do in the shadows to other like vampire pop culture uh media um yeah i really this is maybe gonna sound dumb to some people but i've seen tattoo people have like tattoos of like the Chinese like food takeout box and it'll have like noodles, but also like maybe a worm in it. I kind of want to get a tattoo that's like that. <laughs> just, <laughs> just, uh, just, you know, in reference to one of my faves. Well, I do think though, like watching this movie, talk about influential in other ways. So we already mentioned that the opening is the same place that us takes place in the opening, but um. Mm-hmm. And you said it was, it, it paints the town as very crust punk. And I agree. But I also look around and I'm like, no, this is a really cool place. <laughs> oh, yeah, it is a really cool place. I absolutely would want to like go there. I also forgot about the oiled up sax god. That's- oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> so when you say the soundtrack's good, I'm just like, meh. You don't think that song is a jam, I still believe? <laughs> some rock sax that saxophone player he played on ter- uh tour with tina turner really mm-hmm. good for him yeah he's clearly good at what he does it's just one of those like oh yeah this is the 80s yeah that's like a hell of a combination of things like this beefed up saxophone player <laughs> and like chains and yeah no it was like just I, I would absolutely want to live in uh Santa Carla in spite of all the damn vampires. Yeah, yeah. As the grandfather points out, that's the last line of the movie. One thing I never liked about living in Santa Carla is all the damn vampires. Yeah, I love that twist, like that he knew about it all along. Well, and he saves all of them too. It's because of him that they get away, because he drives his car into the house. Yeah, and ends up, you know killing max the head vampire mm-hmm. um well, and let's give let's give grandpa some due so that was he was played by barnard hughes uh who sadly mm-hmm. passed in 2006 
Um, his other big credits include the original Tron in 1982. He played Dr. Walter Gibbs. Uh, he was also Father Maurice in Sister Act 2, Back in the Habit, which is a fantastic movie. Oh my God, yeah, that movie's great. <laughs> Love that movie. Um, and so, yeah, so he he had a career on his own as well, um, even before being in, in The Lost Boys. And after as Also, well. the grandpa is amazing. He has like such... He has some like really good, he's such a good kooky, kooky grandpa. Like he says, uh, he doesn't have a TV, but he likes to read the TV guide because if you read the TV guide, you don't need a TV. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he has like his shelf in the fridge when the boys get there and he's like showing them and he's like, these are my root beers and these are my double thick Oreos and you don't touch these. Yeah. Um, which to tangent off a little bit i want to say in one of the comics that sort of spun off of this movie so um you know like grandpa makes uh a couple references about going to hang out with um what's her name widow the widow johnson (laughs) there you go yeah kyle just helped me the widow johnson so there's a couple there's a couple um References to him going to hang out with the widow Johnson. And I want to say in one of the comic books that spun off, there was a, like the widow Johnson was actually also a vampire. And like the night that, you know, the boys and Lucy are having the big showdown with like Max and all of the lost boys uh grandpa is over at the widow johnson's sort of fighting her because she's gonna turn him into a vampire um interesting and then the reason i also bring that up too is because there was there were theories that grandpa was a half vampire or something like that because his like root beers and stuff are actually blood and that's why he doesn't want anyone to touch those but that's sort of like I think a little bit of an out there theory, I but like interesting. A, I think he's just, you know, a crotchety old man who says that reading the TV guide is his reason for not having a TV and <laughs> right. a lot of taxidermy that he leaves around everywhere. Yeah. He's a taxidermist. He, um, which comes in handy later. Yeah, it does. And he never, you know what? And he never drives that car that he drives into the house at the end. Like at one point him and him and Sam get in the car and he was like, all right, we're going to town and they get in the car. And then he goes, all right, let's go to ca- town. And he gets out of the car. He's like, I don't He doesn't drive that car. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's like, and, and speaking of sort of the spinoff lore, there is also a lot of like, like I said, extra lore that doesn't make it into the movie and also things that were just sort of scrapped. Um, because originally, so you'll know if you notice during the final fight when David gets killed, he's the only vampire that doesn't like explode or gooify into a million pieces or anything like that. No, he just sort of turns um, back into a normal person. Yeah. And, you know, they all think he's the head vampire at first and he's the one to kill. And it turns out it's actually Max. So originally, David wasn't supposed to die. He was supposed to come back for a sequel that was going to be called The Lost Girls. Interesting. 
and there was supposed to be a in credit scene or it I guess not I shouldn't say supposed to be it was something that was talked about but never actually moved into production nothing of Mm -hmm. it was shot it was purely like on paper in discussion where they kind of uh after the credits roll there's an end credit scene they go back to the rock and roll vampire lair and there's an old photograph there they sort of do a shining-esque photo moment where it shows uh max and the boys like a hundred years before that oh geez so is that hidden like next to the picture of uh of jim morrison <laughs> it must be or like behind it or something mm-hmm. but yeah it, it, it was never actually shot it was only in discussion like when cuts happen that scene and that whole thing was definitely something that was scrubbed but yeah, there were there were a lot of talks about a sequel, but it never really happened. There were sequels that came out that were direct to DVD. They're not good. Don't don't see them. I seem to recall like I remember when what was it? The Thirst I think came out. Mhm. Yeah. And I which I saw that one cuz it had it had some of the old characters coming back like Corey Corey Feldman was in it again and um what's her face from the oc was in it autumn reeser she was in season three and four of the oc um and i really enjoyed her and i watched that movie yeah it was was so bad it was not good yeah Uh, and then the tribe i think was the third one that came out but i honestly like i don't think that like i think the lost boys is campy I think it definitely has like a cult fandom. I don't think it's a bad movie. Like, and like I was saying, like way earlier, like I think the script is pretty good. Like there's some stuff about it where I'm like, okay, they have this whole romance between like Michael and Star that is like, you know, fast laned. Oh man. Um, well, but I, I also get like, it's very much fast laned, but there's no resolution to it either. It's not like we see them right off into the sunset having adopted this child that showed up out of nowhere. Um, and became yeah. a fire kind of and then didn't uh like I, it's just like yeah it's a fast-tracked romance and i always like the fact like the sort of the double entendre like after they've slept together in the cave and she admits that he was supposed to be her first kill but i think she just mm-hmm. says that she he was supposed to be her first yeah she was he was supposed to be the kill that turned her into a full vampire because in this vampire uh i guess I keep saying lore. I don't want to say lore too many times, but I guess like in this version of vampirism, you drink, you know, the blood of a vampire, of the head vampire or whatever. And then you start to transform and you're not a full vampire until you make your first kill and drink mm-hmm. human blood for the first time. Um, but you just get more and more hungry and cranky. which we see when michael when sam's in the bathtub being the weirdest 13 year old boy in a bathtub oh Um, my god yeah he's just playing in the bathtub he's playing a bathtub like he's seven years old you know what i i i love the fact that he can embrace his youth um yeah yeah and then michael shows up and luckily their dog which is a strangely named nanook uh Mm -hmm. uh, husky sure um there's a whole bunch of issues with that, um, but their husky <laughs> attacks Michael because 
you know, the dog senses that Michael is coming after Sam. Because he's a shit-sucking vampire? Yes. My own brother, a goddamn shit-sucking vampire. I'm like, one of those things is not right. I, 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 know, uh, I know you really liked that line. I love that line. One of the things I was that was gonna, that sort of makes this a comfort movie is the fact that, and I think a true comfort horror movie is the fact that like no good guys die, mm-hmm. only bad guys die. Even in the end, you find out that Star and Laddie, the little boy vampire, mm-hmm. they they were both only half vampires, so they don't die in the end. They get their humanity restored when the head vampire is killed. And I think that, yeah, that's one of a, one of the reasons why this is sort of a comfort movie is because all the good guys win, all the bad guys are defeated or killed. Yeah, it's a definitely a happy ending. And almost like it's not like they're going to jump into like the hijinks music, although it's a little close. But um, and this is when, you know, we want to talk about Joel Schumacher style, right? Grandpa says one thing I hate about living here is too many damn vampires. And goes mm-hmm. to the fridge and then it fades to black on like the stoic slash slightly appalled faces of his daughter and two grandsons. Yeah. And then it's just playing the like the people are strange cover. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I want to say Jim Morrison sung the original one. Yes, that's right. And then yeah. Echo and the Bunny Men do the version for the movie. Okay, so um, that, I like that part of the soundtrack. <laughs> yeah. Well, what about, okay, what about the theme of the movie, Cry Little Sister? You know, it's what, well, I, I know it was a thing of the times. So I know some movies have done it, but I get so tired of the movie using the same song over and over again. It kind of reminds me of the 1966 Batman movie where Batman keeps like wistfully thinking about the romance he had with Miss Kitka, who's actually Catwoman. And like that one <laughs> song from the nightclub just like plays over his thoughts. <laughs> That's how I feel about that, that film style. That's a, it's a very eighties thing. Pre nineties thing. To yeah. use the, the same sort of musical sting over and over and over again. But fun fact about Cry Little Sister, which is probably one of the greatest goth anthems of all time. Number one, if you've never seen the music video, holy shit. <laughs> I need to see the music video. We need to post it's that bad. onto the Twitter. It is bad. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it, the, the person who wrote it, Gerard McMahon, is in the music video singing that he stars in the music video. It's so bad. It's so embarrassing. <laughs> it's so cringe. But second, uh, he wrote this song without ever reading the script. Really? Yeah. He like he wrote this song purely on vibes, title and vibes. <laughs> <laughs> we need to start a playlist on Spotify that is this song was written purely on vibes. <laughs> this is just vibes. Um, <laughs> the other thing I really the part that I really like about the use of the song is when it's used during the sex scene between Michael and Patrick or Michael and Patrick. Michael and Patrick. <laughs> Michael, who's played by Jason Patrick. Um, Michael and Star. Oh, it's too early in the morning, <laughs> but it's not. Um, Michael and Star. 
like during the sex scene that is so dramatic I like I always was just like this is hot but it's also really not it's just you know it's you can just get the sense that um this was the sex scene that inspired Tommy Wiseau for the sex scenes in the room in room oh good god (laughs) no the room you're right the room yeah room room is room is an oscar-winning film (laughs) yeah the room, is, the room is a film that wanted to be <laughs> but yeah the cheesiest fucking sex scene where they're like in the bed in the rock and roll vampire lair and uh um it's just it's it's just it's goth fun i don't know how it's any other fun. way it's and it's goth fun but also like star is such a bohemian yeah God, I love her hair. Yeah, so she's got the gorgeous hair. She's got the the peasant skirt perpetually. Mm -hmm. I don't think she ever changes clothes in this movie. I I don't think anyone does. I think you're right. I don't think anyone does. It does take once in like 24 to 48 hours. Yeah, it's definitely less than a week. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, the well, because it's like she's got this like whole cool bohemian style. Like the little boy, Larry, has like a like cool like band style My Chemical Romance Welcome to the Black Parade jacket, even though that was way before that. Yeah, but and um, that's where that comes from for um welcome or um uh for what we do in the shadows, because when Eddie becomes a vampire, I think his name's Eddie, isn't it? Oh, I know who you're talking about. Like when he becomes a vampire, he decides he wants to be an a, a vampire like in Twilight. Uh, yeah, he he keeps saying he's like, "You see Twilight? I've seen Twilight. Twilight. I'm like the guy in Twilight." Uh, <laughs> which is really funny because he's really closer to what David is in The Lost Boys. Yeah, but not nearly as cool. Not nearly as cool. He tries the worm trick and it doesn't work. Yeah, because someone else does it, right? Like, yeah, because uh, um, um, uh, Deacon does it to him actually before he becomes a vampire. Yeah, which I just realized that Deacon is probably named Deacon because of Deacon Frost in Blade. Mm-hmm. I never like made that connection until He's recently. Deacon Brooke in in this, and by the way, it's not Eddie; it's Nick uh nick is the guy who gets nick yeah turned into a vampire yeah yeah and then eats a eats a, a french fry and pukes out his guts <laughs> yeah i just can't take it i okay um we are coming up on our time soon yeah. so any uh any final thoughts you know this was one of those you know when we started doing this podcast i knew when we did this movie it would it would be really appropriate for us to do this movie because i did see it at a slumber party uh for the first time and it did scar me uh in my unexposed to horror films uh period of my life um but you know what going back and watching it's still fun it's very stylized um i don't think it's one of those i will watch every year but i appreciate it for what it is yeah, I definitely watch this every year, multiple times a year, because like I said, it's just in general one of my favorite movies, um, and I want to get a tattoo of it. I don't remember the first time I ever watched it. I was probably in high school 
or early 20s. Mm-hmm. But I don't quite remember. I think that it has staying power because it's such a period piece. Like it's so 80s. And I think that's what makes it timeless. Yeah. It's also like one of those movies where it's like, man, I wonder if they remade it, but also like, don't. Don't. Well, don't the, do we it. saw, like, we talked about the sequels. No good. Let's not. Yeah. And you can get like young, beautiful Keith for Sutherland back, which is really my favorite part, probably. <laughs> Keith with the, uh, with the mullet. His mullet and clearly, you know, bisexual vampire ass like (laughs) i don't care what anyone says we stand a bisexual vampire in this house he's totally in love with david but you know (laughs) um well i think that is it for us this week um be sure to follow us on the socials uh x formerly known the artist formerly known as twitter and instagram we are at SP Cinema Club. We like to run polls over there. We comment on things. We like to chit chat. So definitely interact with us over there. Um, if you have a moment, please rate and review the podcast because that helps us out a lot and helps other wonderful people find us. Make sure you invite think- your, your friends. Everyone is welcome at the slumber party and we love to have, get new listeners. So uh, if you do one thing today, just share this episode or any episode that you liked with someone that you think will also like it. We'd love to, uh, we'd love to have them join us. Yes, yes, please do. And we have, let's see, what's the calendar? Where's the calendar? We have two more episodes. Two more episodes for spooky month. Yeah, one of those will culminate in Horrorpalooza colon vampires everywhere, exclamation point. That's what we'll call it. That's what I'm calling it now. I'm naming it. (laughs) I am so excited for this episode, Katie. I hope that all of our listeners stay tuned with us. And uh, until then, have a good spooky month. See ya. Bye. Bye.